first time. If this is your first time here at Vibrant Church, those of you also watching online church, can you give all those people a very big, vibrant welcome today? So glad you're here. So glad you're hanging out with us this morning, and, and I'm really super excited about the series that we're in. Before we get into it, though, uh, let me just remind you, on Wednesday night, we started a brand new teaching series on the book of James called How Faith Works. And if you, if you were here last week, you heard me tell you that these two series, the one on Sunday and the one on Wednesday, are kind of cousins. So I want you to lean into both. On Sunday, we're talking about God's prophetic future for us in the earth, but on Wednesday nights, we're talking about Based on that, how then should we live today? And so I want you to lean into it. We kicked it off this Wednesday, but don't miss it. Wednesday night, Facebook Live, 7 p.m. It's gonna be an awesome, awesome time. We get the house lights to come up, please, for all those that are here. I'm gonna welcome you to our Revelation series. Somebody shout Revelation. I'm excited. How many of you enjoyed the first part of this as we launched into this series? I'm super pumped about this. Man, I am literally like, like amped up about this whole series, Studying Revelation. If, if you have a note sheet, get it out, because I've got a lot to give you today. Uh, they're, they're, they're working on some technology right now. Don't worry about the lights. You can see it's all good, hopefully. But uh, also, if you're joining us online, we want you to have a copy of the note sheet. The host in the chat box is gonna drop a link for you to get the note sheet. You're gonna wanna get it out today. Got a lot to cover, a lot to give you as we journey into Revelation. Today, we're gonna really focus on an incredible doorway. Somebody shout doorway. Yeah, did you know there's a lot of incredible doorways in this world? There's doorways to king's palaces. There's doorways to museums and important offices. There are doorways into homes, but there's no doorway or gateway in this world like you see in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter three, you find a door that Jesus talked about, and he says this in Revelation three. He says, behold, help me out, everybody. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears and opens the door I will come in. And so we know he's talking about here, the door to our heart, that it's a door that can be open and it's a door that can be closed. It's an incredible doorway. When I open the door of my heart to him, how many believe it absolutely changes your life, right? But then in Revelation chapter four and verse one, it, it, there, there's another incredible door here, and this is John talking. He says, after, after this, I, John, looked, and there before me was what? a door standing open in heaven. And immediately now we move into the third division of the book of Revelation. And this is all about future events, which is what we're kind of all interested in anyway. And through this incredible doorway that opens up to John, he gets to actually step into heaven and see what's going on there. As a human being, he was invited up to stand in heaven and get a front row seat to all that's happening there and to see things that he has never, ever seen before. And he was able to come back and write them down for us so we could hear about them. And today we're gonna, we're gonna begin to take a look at what he saw as he stepped into this portal, this doorway, this open physical vision into heaven. And as we talked about last week, much of God's plan that he unfolds for us is in the future. He's talking about future events here. And I know, I know, we all wanna know, you know, what does the beast mean and what is the mark of the beast and what is the tribulation? We, we, we all wanna have answers to those questions, but remember, there are three vital perspectives for understanding Revelation. First, to understand Revelation, you have to understand the Old Testament. There are over 300 references to the Old Testament in this book. So when you understand the Old Testament, immediately you'll understand some things in the book of Revelation that you didn't understand before. But you also have to understand the first century. The first century, the time in which John lived. Many of the pictures that John uses in Revelation are very familiar to the people of his day. They knew what the, the number seven meant. It was different to them than it is to us. They knew what the eyes meant and the stars meant and all these symbols that, that they emerged from, from Revelation. But we don't know those things, so we have to look back and we have to do a little bit of study to understand what it meant to them, and then it becomes immediately clear to us. But you also have to understand a third thing. I want you to write this down. You have to understand time in heaven. You have to understand time. Somebody shout time. Because time in heaven is different than it is on earth. So watch, John is gonna step into heaven and he's gonna see these incredible things that God does as if they're happening at that very moment. 
Now these future events that he saw still haven't happened yet, but John saw them happening already. How does that work? Because time in heaven and time on earth are two very different things. How many of you know that God's on a different timetable than we are, everybody, right? And it's very obvious as we read Revelation, God wants us to see some things, some of these events that are happening, he wants us to see them as sequential. So he makes very clear that some of these things happened one after the other, one builds on to another. And if you get a hold of these three perspectives, you've got a good start in understanding the book of Revelation. But don't miss this, because there's also one attitude that is absolutely crucial in understanding this book. If you don't have this attitude, as you read every verse and as we go through every chapter, it's going to be uh, really a confusing mess to you. Because sometimes, you know, when we want to learn about the future, one of the attitudes that we can have is worry. When we think about the future, you know, what's going to happen? You know, what's, what's going to happen out there? And, you know, when's the tribulation going to be? And, and am I, am I going to have to be part of the tribulation? And a lot of our interest in the book of Revelation is, do I have to go through all of these things, right? And that's nothing but Christian worry, okay? When we approach Revelation with that attitude, this book gets really confusing because worry is not the attitude that unlocks this book. It's not worry. If you really want to understand the book of Revelation, you have to begin with an attitude of worship. Somebody say worship. It's absolutely crucial because when you step through the pages of the book of Revelation with an attitude of worship, recognizing God for who he is and the greatness that he has and the incredible plans that he has for us in this earth and in the universe, when you step through each verse with this attitude of worship, it begins to unlock things and make things clear that you've never seen before. Can you say amen, everybody? Even before God, even way before God begins to tell us about the future, before he even begins to unroll any scroll or blow any trumpet or empty any bowl, there is worship. The book of Revelation begins with worship. It continues in worship. And how many believe it's all gonna end in worship, everybody? Revelation is one of the most incredible worship books in the entire Bible. It's just filled with worship of God. So understand, worship is the attitude that unlocks this book. And the focus of worship in the book of Revelation, listen to me, the focus of the worship of this book is on the throne of God. Everything is focused around that throne. That's why if we're gonna really understand this book, we have to begin with the throne. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you watch the news today, and all that's happening, when you scroll through the news feeds on social media and you see all that's happening in our world right now, does it hit your gut like it does mine? When you read the headlines, man, you think, what in the world is this, what, what is this world coming to? Have any of you watched the news lady and thought, come on, show of hands, what is this world coming to? That's what the book of Revelation is written to answer. But I'm gonna tell you right now, what this world is coming to is the throne of God. That's where everything's coming to. That's why the focus of it is on the throne because that's where everything's headed. Aren't you glad about that, everybody? It reminds us that there are gonna be some devastating events on this earth, but it can't change the fact that God is on the throne and he is in charge, amen. It reminds us that, that there are gonna be some terrible things that happen, even, even to believers on this earth, but it doesn't change the fact that God is gonna take us away from here to live with him for all of eternity. Come on, hallelujah, somebody. Aren't you glad nothing can change what happens on that throne? Amen. And today, we're gonna to focus on what these two chapters, chapters four and five of Revelation, have to say about the throne of God. This is powerful. I'm telling you, you're gonna to wanna to lean into this. Did you know that that word throne is used only 11 times? Write this down. In the rest of the New Testament, the word throne is used 11 times. In the whole rest of the New Testament. But in Revelation, the word appears 42 times. There are only five chapters in the entire book where the word throne is not even mentioned, only five. The fact that there is a throne, listen, what it means is that there are absolutes that cannot be altered. There are absolutes that cannot be changed. 
They are guaranteed by the authority of that throne. And nothing man does or can do can alter them in the least degree. That throne for us is a place of security and a place of worship and a place of recognizing who God is. And so let's look at the throne today. Hey, before we get into all these future events, how many of you just wanna take a look at the throne of God today? Come on, let's enter the throne zone today. Before we begin to look at the scrolls and see what's in the future, let's look at what's on the throne, what's around the throne, and what comes from the throne. Are you ready? Everybody say yes. First of all, write this down. We're gonna look at what is on the throne because someone is sitting there. And in Revelation chapter four, we begin, John walks into heaven and he says, and the voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. He said, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a what? Was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So can you grasp, can you understand what's going on here? Somebody got to go to heaven and stand before the throne of God and see the image of God there and come back and report it, report what it was like, report to us what they saw. And what was John's report? He says in verses three through six, and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. We're gonna come back to that. He said a rainbow resembling an, an emerald circle, in, or emerald encircled the throne, and surrounding that throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and, and rumblings and, and peals of thunder, before the throne seven lamps were blazing, and these were the seven spirits of God, and before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, uh, clear as crystal, he said. Now let's, let's zoom in on the throne. He said on the throne, first of all, there is someone sitting there. Now the Bible tells us that a man has never seen God at any time. If we saw God because of his holiness, the Bible says we would immediately die. So notice that John goes to heaven and he, he gets to see the image of God. God could not show John his completeness of himself. He only could show him an image of himself. And what did he see? John saw color. He saw beauty. He saw excitement like he had never, ever seen before. Come on, he didn't see a dull, drab, boring heaven. He saw something that was more colorful and more wonderful than any of us could ever even imagine. He looked and he sees something and he, he tries to describe it. And he says it has the appearance of, of Jasper and Carnelian. That's interesting that he saw those two jewels, Jasper and Carnelian. Understand, every Jewish leader that read the book of Revelation in John's day, when they mentioned those two stones, they would have recognized immediately what they were because those were two of the stones that the high priest wore in his garments. In fact, they were the, and, and let there be light. Thank you, Jesus. All right. In fact, they were actually the first and the last of the stones that were in the priest's garments. The first row of, of there were actually four rows, and on the first row of the priest's garment was red carnelian and crystallite and emerald. The second row had turquoise and sapphire and moonstone. The third row had jacinth and agate and amethyst. And the fourth and last row was beryl, onyx, and jasper. So the very first and the very last stone in the priest's garments were, were jasper and carnelian. They were so familiar with this that everyone would have known that this was a representation of what God had done in the lives of people. But even more than that, just the color of these stones, the color of what he saw represented who God is. And so in your notes, I want you to see this, that Jasper, it's talked about in the New Testament, it was a stone that looked like a diamond. It, it may have even been a diamond. It was a pure stone. What does this represent? That God is a God of purity. And when he saw this pure light coming from the throne, it represented the purity of God. But then he saw, at the same time, he saw another stone. He saw carnelian, which was red like a ruby, and what does this represent? It represents two things. It represents wrath and it represents forgiveness. 
So when you hear the, uh, somebody say something like, well, he saw red or she saw red, we're talking about something or somebody who was angry about something, right? Understand, God is angry only about one thing, and that is sin. He's angry about sin. He's not angry at the sinner. He's angry at the sin. I want you to hear me say that again because this is where legalism comes in. Legalism is angry at the sinner. When you come into relationship with God, you realize God loves the sinner. He hates the sin. God is angry at one thing, and it's sin. He's angry about sin because of the way it has hurt his creation. So there's this representation of that. Also, what do you and I as Christians immediately think of when we hear of the color red? We think of the cross, right? How many of you know we think of the blood of Jesus, right? We think of the, uh, the shed blood of Jesus for us. Don't you see that, that just these two stones, the color he saw there was this incredible representation of who God is. Now, as we walk through this and we look at the throne, I want you to know that for every aspect of the throne, I want to give you one idea of what the throne is in, in, in that space that we're talking. So if, I, if we were to stand there, as we will someday as believers, if we were to stand before the throne of God, what impact would it have on us? First of all, you need to understand, based on this, that the throne is a place of awe. It's a place of awe and wonder. How many believe that our God is an awesome God? John the Apostle, in his first letter, John wrote about God, and when he wanted to describe God, that this God who is sitting on that throne, this God who is illuminating all these colors, this is how John described him in 1 John 1 and verse 5. He said, God is what? Light. And in him there is no darkness at all. How many believe he's an awesome God, right? That's the awe of it. Perfect purity, perfect light. No darkness in the one who is on the throne. So we talked about what's on the throne that John saw. Number two, let's look at what's around the throne. Because what's around the throne, John sees a rainbow. Actually, the Bible says the entire, the entire rainbow was circling the throne, like in an everlasting circle. It's green. John said it was green like an emerald. Like it was green like life. It was, this is the real circle of life here around the throne. Now, when you hear the word rainbow, we read the Old Testament. We've read it enough to know kind of what that pictures. So when it, what does it remind you of when you hear the word rainbow? Noah, right? It reminds you of Noah and the flood. And at the end of the flood, the Bible says that Noah comes out of the ark and he sees this rainbow. So what does this tell us about the throne? Write this down. The throne is a place of promise. The, the awesome, incredible promises of God. Listen, every promise that's kept in the world based on the word of God emanates and originates from that throne. There is one supreme headquarter, one central location from which every promise that's kept in this universe begins, and John sees it. He sees a place of incredible promise. And so we see the one who is on the throne. We see what is circling around the throne. Number three, let's look at what's coming from the throne. Because coming from the throne, John sees flashes of, of lightning and rumblings and, 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 and peals of thunder. He writes, in fact, you could actually go back to the book of Exodus because this is very familiar. If you remember in the book of Exodus chapter 19, when the presence of God came down to earth at the time of the giving of the, of the 12 commandments and the law, the, and the, the people of Israel on Mount Sinai, they actually saw this. In fact, in Exodus chapter 19, it says that on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled at this. So this is very familiar. And we know what this means. You've heard people say things like this, like, you know, may I not be struck by lightning, blah, 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 right? What are they talking about when they say that? It's a reminder that the throne is a place of judgment. See, we don't like that. <laughs> we live in a day and we live in an age when even as believers, we know that God is going to judge the world, but there's something in us that we just, we just, quite, we just don't like that. We like God to be a God of grace and kindness and love and mercy. I don't like him to be a God of judgment. Ooh. Yet he is. 
He is a God of grace, yes, but he's also a God of judgment. Unless the possibility of judgment is real, what does grace mean anyway? You see, when you realize how real judgment is, when you realize what what a terrible state that we are in, in this world, and how deeply in need we are of God's grace, and that we're going to be judged without it, then you see the fullness of what grace really is. The throne is a place from which judgment begins. So watch. Sin, which was sent by Satan originally, accepted by us, came into this world and tore God's creation apart. It it, it completely ripped it apart. It took everything beautiful that God had made and twisted it into some destructive thing. And God is going to restore it all one day, but God has watched sin destroy everything for generations. Now, what kind of God would he be if he did not judge that sin that has torn his creation apart. And to be more personable, uh, sin tore my life apart and sin tore your life apart. What kind of God would he be if he did not judge that sin? How many of you know that's why we need Jesus? Come on, without Jesus, that's all the throne is, is a place of judgment. But when you come to know Christ, Jesus said this. He said this in John 5. He said, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death into life. Can you give God some praise for that? That's the hope we have. Come on, aren't you glad that in Christ, you never have to face the throne of judgment? You've already passed through that. You've already crossed over that. It's already finished. It's already settled because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So watch. The fact that the throne is a place of judgment. Listen, it doesn't minimize God's grace. Now, when you think about it, it actually maximizes how incredible the grace of God is that allows us to be in his presence for all of eternity. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Now, stay with me because... Now we're gonna get a little more complicated, right? Because the light and the colors are easy to figure out. Even the thunder and lightning we can kind of figure out. But now we're gonna get a little more complicated because if you look at the last part of verses six through eight, here's what John writes in verse six through eight. He says, around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second like an ox, right? He says, the third had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered in eyes all around, even under the wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. This gets a little more complicated than gems and rainbows and thunder, okay? So we've looked at what's on the throne. We've looked at what's around the throne and what's coming from the throne. Write this down, number four. Let's look at what is circling the throne. Circling the throne were these four living creatures. Now, who in the world are these, are, are these creatures? First of all, you have to understand, anyone who read these words in that day of John would have recognized these creatures immediately. And why? because they were all familiar with the Old Testament. And the Bible says the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Ezekiel both were also allowed to see heaven in Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 1. And when they did, they saw and described the same four creatures centuries apart from each other. So whoever had gone into heaven, they looked into heaven and saw around the throne these four servants of God, the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. Now, what are these talking about? As we look at them, what we see is we see the character qualities and the attributes of God. So here's what it is. The lion, what does that represent? Write this down. The lion represents the power of God. In Christ, how many believe that we have access to the power of God? You need some power in your life. Hey, maybe you're like, Jason, I feel so weak over this addiction. I feel so weak over this hang-up or this habit or this hurt or this problem. Well, the first step is to admit that you are powerless. 
But the good news is, come on, we can tap into the power of God in his throne room, in the throne zone, baby. Come on, how many of you believe that we need power today? Right? Maybe you need power at work. Maybe you need power at home or in your marriage. Maybe you need power not to give up. Just, you got to say, I need some power, man. Maybe you just need to say that. Well, this is available for you because the lion is the all-powerful omnipotence of God. So what does the ox represent? The ox represents the faithfulness of God. An ox is faithful. An ox is Johnny on the spot. The ox is strong. The ox is commitment-laden. The ox knows one thing, and that is to just consistent work, consistency, consistency, consistency. Aren't you glad that we serve a faithful God? Come on, when other people are unfaithful to you, when life is faithful, faithless to you, when you are faithless yourself, come on, aren't you glad that we serve a faithful God? He is faithful. He is strong. He is consistent in your life. He doesn't know how to break his integrity. He doesn't know how to break his promises. He doesn't know how to turn a blind eye. He doesn't know how to forget something that's going on in your life. He is faithful. He's a faithful God. And so what about the man? Well, the man represents the intelligence or the omniscience of God. The man represents intelligence. Now, <laughs> some of you wives are going, you got to be kidding me. I mean, the man represents intelligence. What? <laughs> but this represents the wisdom of God. Somebody say wisdom. Maybe you need some wisdom in your life. Maybe you need some wisdom as you negotiate the maze of life. Or maybe you need some wisdom on your career path. Maybe you need some wisdom in that dating relationship or dealing with your, a rebellious teenager. Maybe you need some wisdom in your finances. You need wisdom. I need wisdom. It's right there in the throne zone. Because of Jesus, come on, I've got total access. I've got a VIP pass, baby. I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve to be in there, but he invited me in and I said yes to him. Hallelujah. And what does the eagle represent? The eagle represents the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign. I like the sovereignty of God. That means that God does what he wants, how he wants, where he wants, with who he wants, when he wants. It means that God is large and in charge. It means you don't have a vote. It means you can't vote him out of office every four years because you don't like his decisions. He is sovereign. He is in charge. And the eagle represents that sovereignty of God. It also represents perspective. How many of you believe sometimes we need God's perspective on what we're going through in our life? So the lion is power. The ox is faithfulness. The, 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 the man is intelligence. The eagle is sovereignty. And the Bible says that they all have wings. And what does that even mean? Their wings show their quickness and availability to God's service. Obviously, with wings, they can immediately do whatever God assigns them to do. And it says that they all had eyes. And it almost sounds ugly when you read this. It doesn't sound very pretty. It says they have eyes all around. They have eyes all over their wings, under their wings, all over their body. All, they have eyes everywhere. What does that mean? That God is ever seen. He sees all in all. And to us, we look at that picture and it's kind of an ugly picture to us, but to the people of John's day, it would have been a beautiful picture because it's a picture of intelligence. It's a picture of insight. It's a picture of perception. They see things, these creatures, they understand God's creation in ways that no one else can. And these four amazing creatures, what do they do? It says, they never stop saying, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. They never stop. What is that telling us about the throne? You better get this. It tells us that the throne is a place of holiness. Hundreds of years earlier in Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah, he sees heaven and he sees and hears the very same creatures singing around the throne. And then hundreds of years later, John is there in heaven. He sees and hears the very same thing. 
And they're still singing the same song this very moment. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is. It, it doesn't mean that they don't know any other thing to sing. It's just that that is the song in eternity. It's the number one hit. They don't get bored with it. Because you don't get bored with anything in heaven. Can you say amen, everybody? The majesty of those words falling upon the throne of God every single moment in heaven. These four living creatures work at leading God's creation in worship to its creator. That's what they do in heaven. And so we've looked at what's on the throne and what's around the throne, what's coming from the throne, what is circling the throne. Are you all still with me? Okay. Because now we're going to look at number five, and that is what is before the throne. Because the Bible says before the throne, John saw there were 24 elders. And the Bible says they're all dressed in white, and they have crowns of gold on their head in verse 4. And then in verse 10, it says the 24 elders fall down before the one who sits on the throne, and they worship him forever and forever. And then it says, John saw them, and it says they take their gold crowns from their head, and they lay them before the throne. And they say in verse 11, you are worthy. Somebody say, you are worthy. Not in say, say, as if you don't know who we're talking about here. Y'all better get who we're talking about here. We're talking about King Jesus here. Come on, somebody say, you are worthy. He says, you are, they say, you are worthy, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. Who are these 24 elders? Who are these elders? I believe, as do many scholars, that these are specific believers. Why do I believe that? Because of the things that they do. It's very interesting. First of all, they have crowns on their head. And in heaven, rewards are given to believers. Also, it's because of how they're dressed. They're dressed in white. I know we always think of the angels that are dressed in white, but the Bible says that throughout the book of Revelation, it's usually believers that are dressed in ornate white. But also it's because of the way that they worship. When you realize that, that they are believers, then the number 24 begins to make a little bit more sense. Follow me now. Because in the religious system of Israel, watch this, there was one high priest and then there were 24 representatives under the Jewish council. These were priests who represented the 24 divisions of the priesthood on earth. And it's interesting to me that we journey into heaven and here we are in the greatest temple of all in heaven and around the temple there are again, we see again, that there's, that we are again with the number 24. 24 priests serving unto God around this throne. By the way, priests are not just Jewish anymore. Priests aren't just Catholic either. The Bible tells us that as believers in Jesus Christ, all of us are priests before God. Every one of us. So these 24 elders are representing the believers of all ages worshiping God. They are dressed in white. They have crowns of gold. But watch, because the most amazing thing to me about these elders is what they did with their crowns. They take their crowns and they lay them before the throne. What an incredible picture. What an incredible truth that whatever honor comes our way, whatever glories we, we receive in this earth, in the end, we take those glories and we lay them before the feet of Jesus. I believe that's what we're all gonna do one day. How many believe that, that, that that's what our lives are lived for is, is to honor and glorify him? Who knows, we may experience the same thing with a crown one day, whatever reward he gives us in heaven, and then we have the pleasure of giving it back to him and saying, God, nothing, nothing, I'm giving everything back to you. Nothing could have happened without you. Everything that I was in my life, all that I accomplished, all the good I did with my life was only because of you, Jesus. You alone are worthy to you be all the glory and the honor and the praise. I'm having fun if you ain't. See, if you keep looking at this throne, 
you'll find out that the throne is a place of worship. It's a place of worship. Somebody say worship. So we've looked at who's on the throne and who's, what's around the throne, what's coming from the throne, what's circling the throne, what is before the throne. Then we get to chapter five. And in chapter five and verse one, John says, and then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides of it, sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven, on the earth or under the earth, could open the scroll or even look inside of it. Now watch, because this scroll is gonna begin to open up to us what God wants to do in our future in the earth. This is what we're about to get into. Number six, write this down. John saw, or well, he, he wept. Okay, I went through all that. John saw in the hand of the one on the throne was an incredible scroll. And actually, let me go back to that because John says, I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look inside of it. And so he saw a scroll in the hand of the one on the throne had seven seals that sealed it, and so we understand this. Ah, okay. So I want you to follow me on this because a scroll may be difficult to understand for us today, 2020, but not to the people of John's day. It was, the scroll was just a simple piece of papyrus paper rolled up that they could read. It was as common back then as a book is in our day today. But then we read that it was sealed with seven seals, and we think that's kind of strange. But in John's day, every one of them, when they read this, they would have saw that scroll sealed with seven seals. They would have realized exactly what kind of scroll this was. Because in Roman and Jewish customs of that day, there were scrolls that were sealed with seven exact seals. Let's take the Romans, for example. Follow me. Because Romans, the Romans, when they made a will for their family, they would have a ceremony. And, and that person who is making the will would have seven witnesses at that ceremony. And for each one of those witnesses, there would be a seal that was put on the scroll. Now watch, because this is fascinating. Because they would also have a reliable friend who would join in that ceremony of the making of the will. And that friend would symbolically pay for all the inheritance that's in the will. All the land, all the possessions of the person who is making the will, so that when the person making the will died, because their friend had symbolically paid for it in ceremony, all the authority to execute the will came back to that friend. And so then it was the friend's duty to open the will, and he alone was worthy so he, he had to pay the price. He, he was worthy to open the scroll and read the inheritance and actually give the inheritance back to everyone in the family. It would be sealed with seven seals. So watch, the, the friend would actually break a seal, open some, and read what was in there. And then he'd break another seal, open up some more, and he would unroll it and read what was there. Friends, can't you see? Jesus was the friend who has come and he paid the price for us to get back the inheritance that was rightfully ours in his sacrifice. The seven seals, both in the Roman and Jewish law, they represent not friendship, but they represent a document of inheritance. And Jesus is the one who helped gain back our eternal inheritance. Now, that's the Romans. What about the Jews? In Jewish law and in Jewish customs, they also had a scroll that was sealed with seven seals. And in Jewish law, it was a law in Jewish custom that you could not lose your possessions. Okay? They had laws in place that in the year of Jubilee, on the Jewish calendar, your possessions would have to come back to you. Everything had to be restored. So if a Jewish family 
uh, lost their property or their possessions by some misfortune or by some distress. It wasn't permanently taken away from them forever. No, their losses, watch, their losses were listed on a scroll and it was rolled up and sealed seven times. Then the conditions that were necessary to purchase back the land was listed on the outside of the scroll. And watch this. Because it was not until what they called a kinsman redeemer was found to redeem that property back that that property would come back to the original owner. Oh, friend, can't you see that Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer? He is the one who bought everything back that was stolen from us. He bought it all back. He alone is worthy. When you start to see that everything in the scroll is what's contained in the end times, you begin to understand why John wept and he wept and he wept. He didn't weep because he wanted to know what was in there and he couldn't read what was in there. He couldn't find out. No, John was very familiar with these kinds of ceremonies. He knew that a worthy person had to be found. A a great friend, a kinsman redeemer who could be worthy to open the scroll so that the inheritance could be given. So y'all better get this because the book of Revelation is all about how God gives his inheritance back to his people. And because of his grace, we come into the inheritance of his son. Understand, this world was first given to Adam but he lost the inheritance. Now Adam is not in control of this world and we're not in control of this world either. I don't care who in the media flexes around the world acting like they're in control. There's not a man that's in control of this world. Satan is the one who is in control of this world. Adam was given the scepter. He was given the scepter of God's authority and God's dominion. He had total control of the earth. And when he sinned, Satan took the scepter from him. When you look at the temptations of Christ in the wilderness, one of the temptations of Jesus, Satan came to him and said, if you'll just, if you'll just kneel before me and worship me, I will give you the kingdoms of the earth. I've heard pastors say for years, well, that's not actually, that was a lie because the kingdoms of the earth were not his to give anyway. He was lying to Jesus in that moment. No, he was not. They were his to give. He had the scepter. What was fascinating to me is that when you find Jesus emerged from the wilderness temptations, the Bible says that he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. There are some wildernesses that God will lead you into to be tested, but he's with you because after the wilderness temptations, the Bible says Jesus emerged from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And you know what happened after that? What happened after that is demons begin to flee out of everybody he came in contact. After he emerged, you don't see this until after the wilderness experience. You don't see demons recognizing him for who he was. After he emerged from the wilderness and defeated Satan, all of a sudden demons are flying out of people, calling him master and terrified. What happened there? What happened was Jesus took the scepter back. Now he had the authority. But until his second coming, which is coming, Satan is the one now who is in control. The Bible calls him the ruler of the power of this earth for a brief time, it says. Oh, but there's coming a day. And we read about it in Revelation. When those who have come to try to take control and try to get in the way of our inheritance, the Bible says that Jesus is going to move them out of the way and be give to his rightful heirs the inheritance that he paid for. That's what Revelation is all about, the unrolling of the scroll. You see, when you focus on the throne, you begin to see this scroll that's unrolling, and John weeps, and he cries, who is worthy to break open its seals? who is worthy to open the scroll. And in verses five through eight, he says, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain 
standing at the center of the throne and circling by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell face down before the lamb. What does this tell us? Write this down really quick. Who is worthy? Jesus is worthy. So John says this. John says some different aspects of Jesus. First of all, John says that he is the lion of Judah. Write that down. Jesus comes out of the Old Testament line of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of praise. Oh, I ain't got time to preach it. But he is the powerful one. That's how he's going to come again, by the way, in his second coming. He was crucified as the lamb in his earthly coming. But friends, he's coming again as the lion. He also, John said, he's not just the lion of Judah. He's the root of Jesse. Which reminds us not only of Abraham and his son, but it also reminds us of Jesse and his son David. He is the one who, who ruled. Jesus will be the one who rules the kingdoms of the earth in the end. But notice the Bible says that he looks like a lamb, a slain lamb. But he's standing in the center of the throne. This is an awesome picture to me. Jesus is standing in heaven and John views him. He looks like a slain lamb. So John, watch this. John is still able to see the scars. He's still able to see the wounds of the lamb of God. He looks like a slain lamb. They, they are there in eternity. Friends, the only scars you're going to see in heaven are the scars of Jesus because those are the scars that bought our salvation. And he sees the lamb and the lamb comes and the lamb takes this scroll. And John says that the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes and representing the seven spirits of God. Those are all very familiar pictures. The, the horns represent power. The eyes represent discernment. And understanding. Remember, all the writings of John's day, they talked in pictures like this. We learned earlier that in the book of Revelation, the seven spirits represent the Holy Spirit of God. The number seven is the number of perfection throughout this book. So the seven spirits represent God's perfect spirit. And the Bible says that these four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb, and each one had a harp. Don't worry, you ain't got to play one there. They're going to play it, all right? They all had a harp, so you can relax. The elders are the ones there. Yet in heaven, can you imagine what this is going to sound like? Can you imagine how it will reverberate throughout all of God's creation? And it says each of them also had something else. Each of them was holding a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So your prayers... And my prayers held there in heaven in worship before the lamb as the scroll was being, was ready to be opened. You see, I believe that there are not only the answered prayers in that bowl of ours, but I also believe that in that bowl contains a lot of the unanswered prayers that you may have prayed. And somehow when that scroll is finally open in ways that we cannot even fathom or understand, even those answered prayers that we unanswered prayers that we prayed over the years, God is going to bring answers to it. Not exactly how we would think, but in even more wonderful ways than we could even imagine. And the Bible says that these elders start to sing and they sang a new song. In verse 9, they said, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God. That's what makes me think this, this picture would have been so obvious to people of John's day. They hear that these elders and creatures, they hear them saying, you know, you purchased men for God. That's why you are worthy. You are worthy to give us the inheritance because you purchased them. And every tribe, it says, and every, every language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Now, you come to the end of this great outpouring of worship in these two chapters, verses four, or chapters four and five, and you begin to see what God is really like. You begin to see the throne more than anything is a place 
of worthiness. I'm telling you, there's no more worthy place to be in all the universe than at the throne of God. There's no more worthy place to, there's no more worthy thing to be doing in all the universe than to be worshiping before the throne of God. And watch, because you come into this throne of God and at the end of chapter five, it starts to build and it starts to build. First, you have the elders and the living creatures and they sang, you are what? You are worthy. And then in verse 11 and 12, it says, John said, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, even 10,000 times 10,000, a hundred million more than you could count. And they encircled the throne and they sang, worthy is the lamb. So first you see the elders and the creatures and then it expands to a hundred millions of angels and they're they're, they're singing, you are worthy. And then in verse 13, John says, then I heard every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing to him that sits on the throne. And to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So then John sees all of creation, all creatures begin to sing the same thing. What is that? You are worthy. Oh, can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine that moment? The Apostle Paul talked about it in Philippians chapter 2. He said, Therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come on, is he worthy today? Come on, is he worthy today? Is he worthy to you today? He is worthy, he is worthy. Hey, but can I give you some good news today? The good news is this. The good news, see John, well first of all, let me tell you this, John gets to see all this stuff, right? He gets to see it before anybody else. He gets to see the end and he gets to see every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you get this description of every knee bowing, when you get all this that John gave us, we read through it, what if you were standing there? Think about this. What if you were standing at the throne right now, like John was? What would you do? What would you say? What would you experience if you were standing at the throne of God this very moment? How would you express your thanks that you have for all he's done for you on the cross? How would you say to him how grateful you are for the way he's worked in your life. The patience that he's shown you, the love that he's shown you, the grace that he's shown you, the salvation that he's given to you. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to enter the throne zone. No, because of what Jesus did for us, he gave us access right now to the very throne of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, let us therefore come boldly to the what? To the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment. Aren't you glad if for us as believers, it's a throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in hell in times of need. Oh, my friend, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to get before the throne. Jesus' blood has opened up the door to the Holy of Holies. You can come in through prayer and worship to the throne zone anytime you want. It's a place of promise. It's a place of awe. It's a place of holiness. It's a place of worship. It's a place of worthiness. And you can receive everything you need. Woo! Praise God. Mm. And we ain't even started talking about future stuff. We just talking about the thrones. Aren't you grateful for the throne of God? Come on, let me pray with you today, right now, all over this room, those of you watching online. Just very quickly as heads are bowed, eyes are closed. 
what I really wanna do is challenge those of you who may be in this room or watching online, listening by radio under the sound of my voice. You don't know him like that and you know who you are. If you were to stand before his throne right now, would it be a throne of judgment for you? Or would it be a throne of grace? If you don't know the answer to that question in your heart of hearts, with assurance that you know that you know, if I stood before his throne today, if something happened to my life today, and that's always what fascinates me. There's only a couple things you're guaranteed in this life, and that's taxes and death. And it fascinates me how one of the inevitables of life people never prepare for, death. It's fascinating to me. We prepare for retirement, we prepare for taxes, we prepare for all these different things. We don't prepare for the inevitable of eternity, death, where everything begins, not where it ends. Are you prepared? You see, hundreds of thousands of people around the earth yesterday thought that they were gonna wake up today, and they didn't. I had the privilege of being part of leading a funeral this week, very moving, of a gentleman in our church who lost his battle with cancer, but he won the war of eternity. He had prepared because it was coming. But this week I'm gonna be leading or having part in a funeral of another man in our church that just the other night it was suddenly came out of a sleep. I can't breathe. And in a moment was face to face with the throne. And I thank God because he's receiving his eternal reward. You see, you're not guaranteed. You don't know. You don't know. So just very quickly, let's just deal with it. Let's just prepare for that inevitable right now. If you're not sure in your heart that his throne would be a throne of grace instead of a throne of judgment, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you need to make a fresh start with God right now. And maybe that's the prayer of your heart. Maybe you've already surrendered your life to Jesus years ago, but you've drifted. You know you have. But today you want to come back to him and say, I want to re-surrender my life to him afresh and anew. Whichever it is, whether it's for the first time or it's again, I wanna pray with you right now. If that's you, I want you to lift your hands. That's me. Come on, all over this room. Come on, leave them up. Be bold about it. Be bold about it. Say yes to Jesus. Come on, all over the room. God bless you. God bless you. I see all of your hands. God bless you. I want us to pray. I wanna lead you in a very simple prayer. We're gonna pray with you as a church family. Pray this from your heart. Come on, church, all praying together out loud. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I surrender all of my life completely to you. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me to live for you. Thank you for a fresh start. And thank you that one day I will see you face to face, not as a stranger, but as family in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. And we ought to give God a big praise for people coming to Jesus today. Amen. Listen, very quickly, if you did pray that prayer with me, would you do me a favor? I would love for you to reach into the seat back in front of you. There's a connection card. Would you just take that card out right now? Just take about five seconds. Would you just let us know who you are and check the box that applies to you? Hey, I gave my life to Jesus or I recommitted my life to Christ today. We just wanna be praying for you. Uh, we just wanna celebrate with you what God's doing in your life. And you could take that card and drop it in one of the containers that the ushers are holding in the exits as you go in just a moment. Um, we'd appreciate, we'd love to connect with you. And as you know, uh, this is the time in our service that we would normally, we move into a moment of generosity and just returning the tithe to the Lord and giving offerings and freely we've received today, so we freely give. And we're not passing offering containers during this moment, during this season of time for safety reasons. But for those of you who like to give, in that physical offering inside the, the auditorium. You can still do so. You can use the envelopes that are in the seat backs. 
Uh, you can just take that and on your way out, ushers will be having containers there. Just give as you go on the way out. There's also a couple of other ways you can give. You can also give through text to give. You can actually text the word vibrant to 77977 and it'll send you some very quick, secure steps. Uh, that's how we personally give. A lot of our people give that way. Um, you can also give through our website. You can give vibrantchurch.com slash giving. Those of you who are watching online, our host is gonna drop a link for you to participate. Thank you for prayerfully partnering with us and with your generosity. It is making a massive difference in so many people's lives. The outreaches we're doing, the things we're doing right now, we're reaching more people than ever. Thank you for partnering with us. Don't forget Facebook Live, 7 p.m., continuing our series on James this Wednesday night. Don't miss it, man. It's gonna be great. I promise you, you're gonna learn a lot this Wednesday as we progress through chapter by chapter in the book of James. And don't forget Kids Conference. It's gonna be a house party at your house with your kids. We've got it all ready for you. If your kids are not registered for for this online experience, make sure you register them. You can do that online on our website. You can register them. It's gonna be an amazing, amazing kids conference this year. They've done a lot of work, put a lot of time into it. And I know your kids are gonna have an absolute blast. Hey, would you stand to your feet this morning and just let me pray a blessing over your life before we leave today. Come on, would you just open up your hands and receive this right now? I just pray the Lord bless you. I pray he keep you. I pray he make his face shine on you and that he be gracious to you, that he turn his face towards you and that he give you peace in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Hey, we'll see you Wednesday night.